Please give your kind attention to our brother Paul as he gives us the words of comfort and exhortation. Good morning, my dear brethren and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll have to bear with me this morning. I'll do my best to uh, hopefully have a consistent and thoughtful exhortation as we prepare our minds for the emblems before us. What I first wanted to do was actually um, take our minds back to um, the events of the flood, and specifically in our Sunday school discussion this morning, It's actually a really interesting phrase that our Heavenly Father makes to Noah when he gives his covenant to him. And it's in Genesis 9 and specifically in verse 15. And we talked about in Genesis 8 about where God remembered Noah and how impactful that is. Those words are when we think about how God remembered him and the blessings that would uh, follow thereafter. In the same way, God remembers us. And he's remembered us by calling us out of this dark world, as we're told in Ephesians, into this marvelous light. But I wanted to draw our attention to Genesis 9, specifically in verse 15, where it says, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now, that's a very simple commandment that God gives, that he would no longer destroy the entire earth with the flood of waters. That was not going to, <clears throat> that was not going to happen ever again, and it will not ever happen again. But what does God replace that covenant with? And what I mean by that is, what's the opposite of destroying the whole earth with water? And our mind should immediately go to perhaps Numbers 14 and 21, where the earth would be filled with the glory of God. And so you see that transformation now taking place of the covenant that he's made to know of, no longer destroying the entire earth with the flood of destruction, but having the entire earth filled with the glory of him. So with that in mind, I want us to now turn to John chapter 13, which is the basis of our exhortation this morning. In John 13, it's, it's quite a lengthy chapter, but there's two fundamental lessons that I hope that we can draw out of this event that happens in the upper room with the disciples. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ knew his time was come, and we're told that specifically as well in John chapter 12, and, and more importantly in John chapter 13. And The Lord Jesus Christ knew he only had this short period of time with his disciples. And it was was vitally important for him to make sure that he used this time to the fullest. And what we'll see, brothers and sisters, is as as he prepares their minds via words of exhortations, 
and then prepares their minds for the emblems, the bread and the wine that they were going to take, and then prepares their mind again with further words of exhortation. He will then provide them further words in John chapter 14, which we read this morning, of the Comforter. And then they will sing a hymn and depart. And brothers and sisters, the 11 disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ depart to then go to the Garden of Gethsemane as he continues wonderful words of exhortations in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, leading up to, um, leading up to the arrest that would occur. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to look at these two wonderful exhortations that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the disciples. One was with the twelve, the other was with the eleven. The one with the twelve was in the lesson of the washing of the disciples' feet. And the lesson that will come screaming forth out of scriptures or out of this passages, out of these passages, will be the lesson of humility. And then we're told that Judas departs into the night. And after and after obviously the partaking of the emblems, Judas leaves. The Lord Jesus Christ is relieved, and he has another exhortation to share. And this is the exhortation that John will learn, and this is the exhortation of love. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to look at these two vital lessons that these two disciples, you might say, learned. Peter learning the lesson of humility, and John learning the lesson of love. And of course, They all would have learned many lessons, and we'll just focus on these two this morning. You know, there was a a meal that was shared perhaps six days prior in Bethany, and it was found in John chapter 12. And there's a striking amount of similarities of this meal that was shared in John chapter 12 and this meal that was shared in John chapter 13. Now, we're not going to look at that in detail, but perhaps we can remember some of the events that occurred. We have Martha serving, and we also have the wiping of the feet with the tears, if we recall, with Mary. There was an emphasis of death that was being uh, communicated by our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're told that the Jews consulted to kill Lazarus, and we're told that Judas left. But the result was that many believed. And here in John 13, right, the day before the Passover meal was to be shared, we have Jesus who was serving and washing and wiping his disciples' feet. He's obviously trying to tell them that he is going to depart and no longer be with them again. And how many counseled together to try and kill him. And we're told that Judas leaves, but we know the results, that many believed. And so why does John put John chapter 12 and John chapter 13, the events of these two meals right next to each other? And it's the simple fact of preparing the minds of the disciples. They had just shared a very similar meal with similar results. But more importantly, I think it was a warning, a warning not only for Judas, but for the other disciples. And obviously it was a great moment of self-examination, the same self-examination we hope to do this morning. And so brothers and sisters, let's think about 
what actually transpired in John chapter 13 as they are up in the upper room, these 12 disciples. Think about these 12 disciples individually as we think about each one of our brothers and sisters that are before us. We don't know exactly where everyone sat in this upper room, but we have some very good indicators. We know that Jesus, probably as the host, sat in the very middle. And what was common is you would have two tables, and then you would have a center table. So you'd have a U-shaped arrangement in this upper room. And so you can imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ would have sat right in the middle of those tables. Then we would have had, would have had Jesus, I'm sorry, Judas on the left side and John on the right. And we're told that in John chapter 13 and verse 23. And we don't know where Peter was, but we know he was across from John in some aspect because Peter beckons to John and asks them, who is it that is going to betray the Lord? We also can assume from John chapter 13 and the washing of the feet that Peter most likely was the last one to be washed. And so as we picture in our minds who's sitting where, and we don't know, we can at least know where perhaps four people are sitting. Well, who was at that meal, brothers and sisters? We had Matthew, a tax collector. We had Thomas, who was perhaps his twin. We have Bartholomew or Nathaniel, who we are told was found no guile in him. We have Philip, who was the leader of the second group, who was a counter, you might say. We have James, he was one of the sons of thunder. We have John, who was his brother, the one whom Jesus loved, as we've mentioned. We have Judas. We have Andrew, who's always known as Peter's brother. We have James, the son of Alphaeus. We have Labaeth, or Thaddeus, who perhaps was one of the youngest disciples. We have Simon, who was known as being zealous. And, of course, we have Peter. And so, brothers and sisters, these were 12 disciples that were with the Lord Jesus Christ during this final meal. And think about some of the characteristics that I just read about that we, we've been exposed to in the gospel message. And let's think about as we partake of the bread and wine, our brothers and sisters, we're going to be partaking this meal with. And what it means for us and what it means for each one of us. Well, brothers and sisters, we, we pick up the account in John chapter 13. And the Lord Jesus Christ, while the meal is going on, as we're told in verse 2, he rises up in verse 4 from the supper. So while the meal is commencing, while it's starting, the Lord Jesus Christ rises from supper, lays aside his garments, he takes on a towel and girds himself. He pours water in a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel which he had girded himself. And so, brothers and sisters, the question is, why did Jesus do this, right? He could have just said, I want to teach you a lesson about humility. Here's the lesson, and it could have commenced. But the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't do that. 
You see, there was a contention, and there has always been a contention with the disciples of who was going to be the greatest. He was going to be the leader of all the disciples. And not only that, but the disciples were extremely confident the kingdom was going to be established right before their eyes. And the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to communicate to them to have this humble spirit. He obviously wanted to cleanse them before this meal as well, because they were in such a rush to this meal, they didn't even cleanse themselves, we're told. They just, started, they just sat down and they started to eat. And we're told that this washing and the way the Lord Jesus Christ washes his disciples' feet is obviously a very powerful lesson, right? It's a lesson that one of the, the humblest slaves, we're told in 1 Samuel, is supposed to do of washing the feet. And I think it was a lesson of overemphasizing the master-slave relationship that is commonly picked up in the letters in the New Testament. But it was this lesson of humility that was learned specifically by Peter. And the question, brothers and sisters, is for us, is how can we learn the same lesson of humility. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, as our Lord went to Matthew, went to Thomas, went to Bartholomew, went to John, and Judas, and Andrew, and James, and Thaddeus, then Simon, and then Peter, and washed each person's feet? How would you have felt? And you can just imagine how the disciples would have felt. And as I mentioned, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus Christ takes on this form of a servant, you might say, to wash each other's feet. And the reason why he did this was to make an impact on the disciples, right? To make sure that they never forgot this lesson. If we turn over to 1 Peter, we'll see that Peter definitely did not forget this lesson. In 1 Peter 5, and these are common words that we all know. And we pick up this event, this event in 1 Peter 5, you can actually recall this in several areas. Um, the, the, most pro, the most prominent one is probably in John, from John 21, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and Peter sees him from the boat And if we recall, Jesus tests Peter in asking him to feed his flock. And we pick that up in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2 where it says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of ready mind. And then if we go down to verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that ye may exalt, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And I think that's really the crux of this aspect of humility, is casting all of our care upon him. 
sure, there's the aspect of pride, right, and being humble and what we think we know versus what we actually do know. But it's that understanding, that fundamental understanding that God is in control and the desire to cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us. You see, as the Lord Jesus Christ is washing each of these disciples' feet, he then comes up to Peter, we're told, in John chapter 13 and verse 6. And we're told, and let us just reread this section. In verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Almost to the fact of he's embarrassed, right? He can't believe Jesus is going to wash his feet as well. And he even questions what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing, and he'll do it again in verse 8. But the Lord Jesus Christ answers him in verse 7, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And he says that in two, in two ways. One is, just wait, Peter, till verse 12 and 13, and I'll tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. But obviously, the more important fundamental lesson is what Peter appreciated in 1 Peter 5 that we just read. So the Lord Jesus Christ rebukes Peter once. And then in verse 8, Peter again questions what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing by saying, Well, if I by saying, Thou shalt never ever wash my feet. And Jesus gently rebukes him again a second time, saying, well, if I wash you not, you will have no part with me. So then Peter, in verse 9, questions the how, you might say, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to wash his feet. Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus rebukes him gently the third time, saying, He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. And the motivation for saying that is described in verse 11. And this was a vitally important lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to communicate not only to Peter, but to all the disciples that we need to cleanse our walk before God. And we can do that, obviously, by reading his word. And we can do that here this morning as well, by refreshing our, our minds and our spirit in the words of our Heavenly Father through the scripture, but also the comfort and strength that we can receive with our brothers and sisters as we partake of the emblems. By the prayers that we petition to our Heavenly Father, by the hymns of praise that we sing to him, These are all ways that we can cleanse our walk as the Lord Jesus Christ had instructed. You know, in verse 12, we read, So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and was set down again to them, and he asked the disciples, Do you know what I have done to you? He's washed each other, he's washed their feet. Now, if you don't mind, I wanted us to just look at 1 Peter 2, which is the, the other reference we'll look at regarding Peter's lesson that he learned from this event. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, that this is thankworthy. If a man for conscious toward God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. See, brothers and sisters, this was the supreme lesson of the servant to wash each other's feet. So when the Lord Jesus Christ asked in verse 13 of John 13, do you know, I'm sorry, verse 12, do you know what I have done? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. The lesson is right here in verse 14 of John 13. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so that was the lesson, brothers and sisters, the Lord was trying to emphasize to the disciples that ye ought to wash one another's feet. And so, brothers and sisters, the question for us is how can we wash one another's feet? Some ideas might be popping into your head as we speak. Visiting other people, praying for other people, writing cards for other people, in any way to, sh- to reflect our humility, similar to what Peter had mentioned, that God is in control. God has given us all these blessings. How do we turn that back to God? By caring and washing each other's feet. There's another lesson I was thinking that we could go to, which, which could be found in, in Luke 12, but perhaps for time's sake we'll, we'll skip that and, and now focus on the other lesson that was emphasized in John chapter 13 after they partook of this meal. So John specifically does not bring out the the partaking of the emblems. He actually leaves that part out, and Matthew and Mark and Luke pick up that account as well as in as well as the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But we're told in John 13, around verse 30, actually at verse 30, after Judas had received the sop, he immediately went out, and it was night. And starting at verse 31, we see this anxiety being, being uh, dissipated, you might say, or, or this, this feel of anxiousness now relieved are now gone out of our Lord Jesus Christ as he now knows the events have been set in order. And there's no turning back. And he only has this extremely short amount of time to spend with the 11, to warn them, to not leave the truth because of what they're about to see transpire. And so the Lord Jesus Christ provides them this wonderful lesson, this lesson that John The Apostle John, the disciple John, would never forget. So let's pick this up in verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God be glorified in him, God also shall glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. And so here's the exhortation. Little children, yet a, lo- yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I also say this to you. A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, I think we had a Bible class on this, on this uh, not too long ago, where we compared this commandment, this new commandment the Lord Jesus Christ gave, versus the old commandment that was found in Leviticus 19, which was, love your neighbor as yourself, is now being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ to love one another as I have loved you. So there's a motivational difference, you might say. We love each other, not so that people will love us, but that people will know that the Lord has loved us and that we love the Lord. And there's some wonderful lessons that were picked up by John as a result of this love, and we'll look at that shortly. But what a wonderful question for us, brothers and sisters, as we think about this lesson. How does the world know that we are one of his disciples. They might know that because of our personality or some of our characteristics, perhaps what we do and what we don't do, perhaps what we say and what we don't say. But do they know that we are his disciples through our love? That's an interesting thought to think about. Does the world know that we are his disciples because of our love? Because that's what this new commandment is about. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, brothers and sisters, I wanted us to uh, Bring, bring this exhortation to a close by thinking about these two lessons in its fullest sense. You know, there were two simple lessons that have been brought out here this morning, one in the washing of the feet, the other in a, in a simple, I'll say, or a new command. But yet they can be beautifully tied together into one. You see, in verse 15, the lesson that the Lord Jesus Christ said is, for I have given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. So what was that he was talking about? That you also ought to wash one another's feet, that you should do as I have done to you. And in this new command in verse 34, he says that you should love one another as I have loved you. So that you should do as I have done to you and, that you, and that you should love one another as I have loved you. And this culminates into the memorial service. 
Because what do we read almost every Sunday in 1 Corinthians 11? Do this in remembrance of me. Washing one another's feet, loving one another as our Lord has loved us. And so, brothers and sisters, hopefully we can have this time of self-examination as we look forward to the day when the whole glory of God will fill the entire earth as we started off this exhortation, as we have the opportunity to meditate, to think about what we've done this past week, as we have the opportunity to examine our own selves of how we can become better servants to our master. And brothers and sisters, hopefully we have the opportunity to reflect upon the bread and the wine and the meanings thereof. And so just like Peter and John, I hope that we also have been able to learn some lessons from the upper room. And I wanted to just conclude with the reading in 1 John chapter 4, in which John truly understood this aspect of love. He understood the same aspect of humility, just like Peter did in his writings. In 1 John 4, we read the following. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another.